a choice right now, right now, between fear and love. It's just a run. Out of the dark night of ignorance and into the shining light of truth. Expounding reality. A population of citizens capable of critical thinking. We don't see things as they are, we see them as we are. There's a, a level of reality where everything dissolves into an ocean of energy. We empower our experience by insisting on our authenticity. That's very profound. Very Expanding reality. Welcome to Expanding Reality Podcast. I am your host, Brandon Thomas. On this episode, I got a chance to sit down with Bob Davis. He has his PhD in sensory neuroscience. The guy is fascinating. He is an experiencer himself. After an event in Sedona, which he tells us about with his wife witnessing a couple of orbs, he wrote the book, The UFO Phenomenon, Should I Believe? After that, he had an incredibly profound experience to where he wrote the book, Life After Death, An Analysis of the Evidence. Uh, He has since gone on to write another book, which we do talk about, and I will have linked in the show notes here. Uh, The guy is incredible. We have one of the best conversations I've ever had with any human on any planet, and it was an absolute delight. So guys, without any further ado, Bob Davis. All right, ladies and gentlemen, beyond excited to have the great and powerful Bob Davis sitting with us today. Dr. Bob Davis, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much, Brandon. No, absolutely. Grateful we connected. I found you through uh, uh, Barbara and Lynn's book, uh, Convergence, which I've got them coming on pretty soon. I, whenever I read what you wrote in that book, it's in Chapter 8, there's a fantastic readout that you've got about your experience, about who you are and what led you to the work that you do. Uh, if you don't mind for my audience that hasn't read that book yet, which if you haven't, you need to check it out, as well as your books, uh, if you don't mind for the audience that isn't familiar with you yet, sir, just uh, let us know a little bit about yourself. I have a doctorate in sensory, um, sensory neuroscience from New Ohio State University. I've been a professor at the State University of New York for over 30 years. Been a closet ufologist for much of that time. How can you not go in the 60s with Star Trek, Twilight Zone, and everything else to uh, brainwash you into believing that uh, UFOs are real? And they are, but that's besides the point. We'll get to that shortly. Um, After I retired in 2014, I saw two UFOs of my wife in Sedona, Arizona, a gorgeous spot in northern Arizona. For those of you who haven't visited, please visit Red Rock Country, Sedona. It's well known for its interesting phenomena. Um, Two orange orbs appeared in the night sky, remained stationary for a few minutes, and they suddenly winked out and no clue what they were. Uh, that's basically it. But that spurred me to write my first book, The UFO Phenomenon, Should I Believe? I felt strongly compelled to do so right after that experience. Shortly thereafter, in the form of maybe two years, I had a dream. I dreamt I was suffocating. Quite lucid. One of those types of dreams. You are suffocating. Uh, Scares you enough to wake up. I knew once I woke up that my dear friend Anne had died, certain of her, and she died while I was experiencing that that 
terrible sensation of suffocation. You got it. I found out a little later on that she had passed, surprisingly, that morning at about that time, a shared death experience. That led me to write my second book, Life After Death, an analysis of the evidence, an attempt at being objective, looking at the evidence that exists on the topic. And um, I can't say that I firmly believe that we have evidence to support the contention that consciousness continues after bodily death, but uh, there's enough indirect evidence to suggest that it does. In any case, about two years after that, I had Kundalini experience, remarkable experience, surge of energy, positive emotion, uncontrollable bodily movements and sensations that were just beautiful. Uh, I became a tree hugger. I came to the realization that um, life's a lot more than just materialistic notions and money and such. Um, There's a lot that went into that Kundalini experience. It was induced by uh, a former physician in Australia who had a, a remarkable gift and talent, and I experienced it. And she's the real deal. I had that experience and and a subsequent spiritual emergency shortly thereafter. That led me to write my last book, and which which we will focus on to some extent this afternoon. And that is Unseen Forces, the Integration of Science, Reality, and You. Um, And that talks about the peak experience, the essence of, I think, what we need to address in order to facilitate the next paradigm shift in science and society. And that's what my last book is about. Well, I can't wait to get my hands on it, man. Um, your your work, though, is very interesting because you do you were a closet ufologist for for quite a while. So were you just unable to experience uh, to express your interest in that to your colleagues because of the, the very rigid scientific understanding that people have in the mainstream science? Uh, very hesitant to, to, to raise that topic. You, you, for one, you don't know how it's going to be interpreted. And uh, you know, one's job at, at certain times can be a little, little tenuous, especially if you don't have tenure. Uh, and you don't want to uh, rock the boat. Uh, look, a lot of people are debunkers. Uh, they look down on you, unfortunately, and they're so wrong. It's what's wrong with society, these, these individuals that do debunk. But those who tend to believe in what is not considered mainstream. And ufology, UFOs, and other paranormal aspects of, of what we've been taught and experienced has always been a, a subject of ridicule, or pseudoscience at best, and, and attracts a lot of people that, uh, let's just say, are not as well-balanced as, as we would like to think. And now, that's a, that's a few. That's a few. Ufology is a legitimate science, but it needs to be made even more concrete and certain. But the point is, now that we have this UFO um, Senate Intelligence uh, Committee established, soon to deliver its final report later this month, uh, it seems that we have some lifting of the, um, the veil the attitude, uh, maybe maybe some of these debunkers are, are, are 
coming to the realization that there is some legitimacy, some validity associated with the phenomenon. And it's a good thing, but it's the 1960s all over again. We've had these hearings before, nothing comes up of it, and it's likely not going not gonna to bring any fruit other than increasing awareness of society that the phenomenon is certainly real. And that is a wonderful thing. That's a tremendous positive thing. But beyond that, it's hard to know what else will be derived from that. So um, it's good. We are evolving in that, that respect. I definitely agree. And I do think that there's a two-part plan for disclosure, uh, just briefly here, that I, I think that it is, what, the positive of it is exactly what you just said. It does raise collective awareness because now they're hearing it from an official sources, right? And there's a lot of people out there that need that for validation, uh, unfortunately, because we know what the real news media is all about, and it is not about your best interest at heart. We uh, Most of us know that. Uh, so what, what I find interesting about what you said is who is attracted to the subject, and I think it's a chicken or egg situation. I think that the type of people that are attracted to it have been left to their own devices to figure it out because no real scientist, air quotes, uh, will take a look at the phenomenon and give people answers from that perspective. I think that whenever you don't acknowledge it as a real science, uh, again, we're talking about the vast majority of you know, mainstream science, we'll call it, the people that need grants and funding to keep their work going and that won't get grants and funding from researching this topic, which they should. Science should be that objective. And I kind of want to get deeper into that with you in a minute. But finishing my point, I think that with with the folks out there that have looked into the topic and, like I said, been left to their own research, there's been an interesting thing that happened in that way because science has told us what the planets do. Science has told us what you know, nature around us does because these are things that are openly studied and encouraged to be studied. What I think the UFO phenomena and any extraordinary experiences, the near deaths, the out of body, um, things like that, past life memories, these types of things have been left to people just to figure out on their own, but it, it offers an interesting perspective because now you're not talking about scientists who follow the scientific method. You're talking about mostly observational research from grassroots, ground-up people that don't have doctorates in this stuff. And you were one of the rare cases of the meeting of philosophy and the science, which I think is the next step with this. I think, you know, I mean, Michael Talbot with his book Holographic Universe kind of started or kicked this whole thing off. I mean, it was one of those things where there were were underground scientists doing the research, which which led to some incredible discoveries and scientifically verifiable, repeatable discoveries. The other challenge in this is the scientific method, it does need to be repeatable consistently. And with extraordinary experiences like this, it's very, very hard to do. It's very hard to repeat these experiences, which makes them in the scientific community's mind invalid or unprovable or not worthy of study, which is even worse. Uh, I think they're more worthy of study, probably like you do as well, just simply because of what I just said, because of that fact. So the marrying of the science and the philosophy is what I am super interested in. And I know that that's where your work has led you as well. What, what kicked you off into that besides your UFO experience, besides the experience, the shared death that you had? Um, what, what was it beyond that? What was the next push? It, it was, first of all, beautifully said. Beautifully said. You're one of the very few, if maybe the only podcaster, interviewer, whatever, in this genre that I've met that can can say what you did and gets it the way you do and expresses it the way you have. Very impressed. You got it. You get it. And you're with me on this because 
because we have to look at the evidence and figure out how best to interpret evidence to define reality because our sense of reality is, is truly in the midst of changing. Our sense of reality is truly in the midst of changing. That's the most important point I can make because there's a lot of reasons. One scientific principle we have, they're telling us that there's hidden dimensions beyond the subjective reality that we perceive in our everyday waking consciousness. In other words, is the reality that we sense with our sensory systems, of course, it's visible and experienced via our sensory modality, central nervous system. But there's a reality that is not sense, it's an unseen realm. And it's accessed, however, through this, what I'm going to call a paradigm shifting discovery. And that is the peak experience, the PE. And that is what my last book, Unseen Forces, is all about. And I'm in the process of initiating a documentary with a, a local filmmaking crew, Dreamtime Entertainment out of Fort Myers, Florida, looking at just this, an altered state of consciousness facilitated by, you got it, the near-death and out-of-body experience, which you just mentioned, even psychoactive drugs like ketamine, psilocybin, um, and dimethyltryptamine or DMT, interactions even with unidentified aerial phenomena. There's probably many different types of aerial phenomena, but one of those types is an interaction between people's consciousness and beings who they claim are purposefully communicating with them, leaving more than an impression, which we'll get into. And it was part of a, a scientific study that was resulted in the publication of the journal of scientific exploration associated with the, the UAP, especially the contactees who claim to have benefited positively in terms of psychosocial, psychospiritual, social um, transformations over time. ESP, that too, it's real. Subtle effect, but it's real. Even individuals who meditate, especially experienced meditators, can have a peak experience, this overarching altered state of consciousness that does what? Well, religions, and there's, there's truth to religions, a lot of nonsense too, but there's some truth. Try to decipher it, that's, that's, the, that's the art. Um, there are many descriptions in religious texts, folklore, which agree that reality transcends, how should we say it, the mind, the body. Um, and when people have this type of peak experience, they interact with the deceased and non-human entities of varying types, from the greys to the elves to the, to the deceased individuals and friends who they've known, uh, and supreme beings as well. And they seem to develop a knowledge of existence in another dimension that they consider to be altered in terms of space and time, no space, no time, no past, no, no present, no future, doesn't exist. And they're there without a body. And they experience ineffable emotions of love and peace. We know this, we've heard this, we've, we hear all about the NDEs. Well, they you can experience that not only through NDEs, but through the other types of modalities facilitated by 
the psychoactive drugs, the meditative, meditative experiences, the UAP, etc. But people are changed when they do this. They, the peak experience, what does it do? Facilitates dramatic changes, again, in the psycho-spiritual uh, viewpoints, personal values on love, on death, on money, on spirituality. It improves them over time to the point where they do seem to become aware of a spiritual dimension. There's more to life. It's ego dissolution. It's not all about them anymore. They learn something uniquely profound through that experience. They're changed. They get it. They seem to reach. and, And the point is this. I've spoken to enough people. I've done. I've written enough studies uh, of publications about these individuals, and they all, after they go through a type of spiritual emergency where they say, "Why me? What just happened? I just left my body. I just interacted with the deceased, etc., so, etc." Et 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 and all these variations. It's a, such a profound experience that, from that moment forward, they are different. Um, and once they integrate it over time and the anxiety is removed or reduced, they feel as if they have changed for the better, becoming more humane, empathetic, compassionate, loving, caring, etc. Everything we want to be. What does it, what is it that makes them this way? The point is now we have many quantum theorists looking at this, trying to make sense out of these inexplicable extraordinary experiences and trying to figure out what is it about that experience that makes these individuals transformed? Do they truly experience an alternate reality or are these individuals, are they truly seeing a different world as they contend with fierce determination or are they seeing this world differently? are all the many, many hundreds of thousands of people who have these kinds of experiences having a psychotic episode, a brain glitch of some type. I mean, there's numerous theories out there that explain from a physiological perspective what they truly are experiencing, and it doesn't address alternate realities or non-human intelligences. It's brain-based. Well, now, now, my point is that we need based on the, these realistic experiences, so real that they transform behaviorally and permanently. What is, that's reality. What's more to reality than that? Even if it's not real reality, you understand, if it's not one and one equals two, the fact that that experience facilitated just dramatic changes in their own personal reality, who and what they are as human beings, it changes them. That, to me, should be reality. And that should be the basis for uh, the need to develop another type of scientific paradigm. One that utilizes existing scientific principles. Newtonian physics has done us well, but Newtonian physics does not explain this. It doesn't it, it doesn't clarify how uh, an aerial event can uh, mitigate inertia and gravity. Uh, quantum theory does. It doesn't explain Newtonian physics, how an individual can see this intensely bright light, experience love and peace, and to interact with the, with the deity, telling them that it's not their time to go back 
and they're changed when they do, or to obtain information during their near-death experience, during their interaction with this other individual reality, where they obtain information that they could not have otherwise obtained. That happens rare, but it happens. I've known people who had an NDE. They 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 meet uh, one case. They met a woman. She said it was the sister who had died before that person was born. Gave the name, family information, etc. This person is resuscitated, survives, goes back to his parents and says, "Hey, guess what, mom and dad? I met." A woman, and she said she was my sister who died before I was born. She, and this is what she said, X, Y, Z, one, two, three. How did you know? I never told him. Did you ever tell him? No, I never told him. How did you know that? Peak and Darian cases, obtaining accurate information that could not have been obtained uh, otherwise, that was verified later on by the living. It's obtained from the deceased, verified by the living. Well, that's a nice trick. I know people who've done it. Ebed Alexander. He'll be in the documentary once it gets off the ground. Just needs some about 50 grand so <laughs> to make it happen. But you see my point? You see my point? They're awakened. These people are awakened. And we can learn from this experience, especially if we can try to induce this in people to the point where they can become more humane. And it's, and it's explainable. By, by the role of consciousness within this evolving scientific paradigm that is now underway, one that integrates scientific principles, proven theories in quantum physics, those that are proven with, with one's ex subjective experience that they consider to be true reality, that they regard internally as being real in nature. Consequently, Let's take the science, let's take the subjective, let's merge it. And this will create, facilitate this new paradigm shift in order to help us try to figure out this consciousness, whatever that is, the self, I, does it extend beyond the brain? And if so, does it continue on after bodily death? We're seeing hints of the answers here, but Newtonian physics, of course, can't give us those answers. And that's why there are so many people who are experiencing such extraordinary things that cannot be rationalized by science, by psychologists who may interpret someone's behavior or experience, like I had, uh, I interacted with the deceased and God, well, I'm going to more than more likely than not be prescribed something I shouldn't be taking um, and receive a wrong diagnosis and treatment. A lot of these individuals are very reluctant, of course, to talk to anybody about the fact that I saw a UFO. I had a Kundalini experience. I had a shared death experience. People every day, all walks of life experience all of these things. And like you said earlier, pal, you said it has to start not from science. We can't look to the to the academicians to give us the answers. It's people, us, mainstream, who experience this and try to make sense of it, out of it. And science has to catch up to where we're at. Yep. That's exactly right. And I'm I'm. 
thinking of the scientists that are not only discouraged, but that sit there and try and prove this stuff wrong because it contradicts with either theories that they've been tenured on or, you know, and one of the disappointing things I think about science, and it's understandable from a human perspective, is that scientists will get to the point to where the, their work and their foundation, their career 30 years ago was built on this one idea. And everybody, you know, of course, either tries to duplicate it uh, or prove it wrong, right? Uh, and so they're, they're constantly, instead of researching, I'm generalizing here, but instead of researching new ideas and uh, paying attention to new observations to figure out what's at the bottom of it, even at the expense of their work, they they tend to dig their heels in and defend their work to their death or until they're not tenured anymore. And to me, outsider looking into the scientific community, it seems like there's a lot of bickering back and forth as far as like, well, if you prove me wrong, then I'm going to lose my tenure or I've got to sit there and die on this hill. And so it, it seems like there's a lot of things that get stagnant and caught up in the in the mechanism of the scientific process that is encouraged to pursue. Again, not all of these, the things that we're talking about here are encouraged to pursue. I think that that's shifting. Now, one of the things I was I was going to ask you about, and what I'm reminded of is Galileo, and back whenever he was so reticent, and then even reneged on his observation that the Earth, you know, that the sun didn't revolve around the Earth, that it was a heliocentric model, and it seems like what we're looking at now with the new science is just that. It's a new science. So we're having to take the principles that have gotten us this far. They've gotten us, you know, AC units in our house. They've gotten us cars, and they've, you know, blasted us off the Earth, if you believe in that type of thing. They you know, have done a lot for us up to this point, just like the invention of fire did until we could do something else. It seems to me that this is the new bit of science that's happening now. And it's going to, like you said, take some tearing down of the old understandings to invite this new research. So with, with that being said, what do you think the next step for science is when it comes to this type of research? The next step, I think, is is what I I call for in my book, uh, and that is to look at people's subjective experiences and how it affects them, and to incorporate that subjective experience as true evidence of real reality. In other words, we have different types of realities. One is the physical reality, of course. And, uh, gravitational field, the electromagnetism, the two nuclear forces, the unified field theory. My gosh, I mean that's 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 the physical nature of our world. We have to we have to incorporate that, and, and we benefit from it. We don't fully understand it all, of course, because we're still in our infancy. But because we're still in our infancy, we don't understand fully, nor do we integrate and incorporate other realities into that one. And it's because that is incomplete. The physical reality must be integrated with the non-physical consciousness, whatever you want to call it, that, that nebulous concept that, that thousands of people have been writing papers about uh, for eons, and we still have no strong understanding of what, what that term means. But we do see hints of what it means through the peak experience. And and only can will we understand reality by beginning to incorporate how the physical world is affecting people's lives and then to look at how it's affecting them, like their NDE, like their OBE, like their UAP, and accept it as real and accept the fact that that, that even though Newtonian physics, mainstream science cannot explain it, we now have to 
try to explain it using theories in quantum physics. But that is too, it's very controversial. So we can't automatically go from uh, integrate existing principles in quantum theory because they're not uniformly agreed upon. So we have, we, we, we're impeded. We, we see uh, the need to change to, in order to fully understand the kinds of uh, paranormal, shall we say, supernatural, normal effects that, that experiences people have routinely. Uh, but we, we can't yet go there fully. Uh, and we talk about it in, with some degree of frustration. We look at we look at pieces of evidence that do, however, strongly indicate that there is this other reality here, this unseen world where ESP takes place, non-local communication. And it's real. It's real. But it's not co- incorporated into our mainstream scientific model. It just isn't yet. It's real. I, I can go on and on and explain. It's subtle. It doesn't mean I could read every word that's in your mind, but it, but I can give you, a, it's in my book, it's in many books, the kinds of evidence that supports ESP, where intention alone can change, can change uh, the light intensity, for instance, of a laser beam in a distant interferometer. Intention alone can alter the pH of water. But again, the, the, the effects are subtle, they're statistically significant, but they're there. We have to cultivate it. We have to develop it. We have to recognize, for one thing, that that humans have far greater potential than we demonstrate. We see, again, hints of that potential in terms of ESP and getting our intention across or affecting physical systems. We see, for instance, two two, uh, twin studies, electrodes on each is separated in electrically shielded Faraday cages. You flicker a a bright light in one of the person's eyes. It stimulates, of course, the brain and the brain waves change. And guess what? You see an an instantaneous corresponding change in the EEG pattern of of their twin person's twin, uh, indicating that they are receiving, they are receiving information from that person's other person's mind that reflects that change in in synchronous activity of the brain. So clearly demonstrated, telesomatic effects, in other words, we see it on a larger scale with the Global Consciousness Project. We see uh, it in an individual in an individual model. Um, a friend of mine, Diane Powell, a neuroscientist and a and a psychiatrist. She does studies with autistic savants. She, uh, Diane Powell, talks at length about one of her her, her patients, subjects Haley, who is an autistic savant, and without seeing what is written on a card, for instance, under well-controlled studies, Haley will get over 90% correct in terms of trying to determine what number, what shape, what color, et cetera, I have. That's outside her visual field. Non-local communication. We see this, of course, with remote viewers. All of these types of experiences uh, that have been proven experimentally but more than that, anecdotally, and they're similar in occurrence, and they range in, 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 across a wide spectrum of experiences to the point where science really can't ignore it anymore. Just like science, I think, is waking up a little bit more to the UAP phenomenon uh, in terms of its 
so say media attention uh, that is has been receiving long overdue but again we're just making full circle back to the 60s and 70s when the same thing happened again and we'll see maybe things will be different hopefully this time but we need this paradigm shift for many many reasons and the fact that quantum entanglement, which is what you were talking about, about the Faraday cages, is so ob- observationally recorded. I mean, it, this is a thing, you know, and just like the double slit experiment, that the observer affects the re- outcome of the experiment just by simply paying attention to it. Or even when they put a measuring device on it, it wasn't even a human being. It was just something monitoring the action and it, and it altered it. And, you know, something else that's really, really interesting to me is how people have such varying experiences. Now, a lot of them, when it comes to these extraordinary experiences, now, I think that science does have a bit of a clue into kind of a, you know how they say like marijuana is a gateway drug? I don't believe that. I think that the gateway drug is people spinning, as a child, spinning around with your arms out in the in the front yard and then getting dizzy and falling down. I think that's your... <laughs> That's your first (laughs) glimpse into an altered state. So if we're talking about anything, it's being spun around. That's your first glimpse into an altered state. Stop blaming marijuana. Anyway, um, but I would say that science kind of has a uh, glimpse into this with just, oh, well, that's just what happens. Uh, I think hiccups is a weird one. People still don't know why the hell that happens. Uh, Deja vu is a weird one that everybody experiences. Science will recognize it, but... Nobody can explain it. The same with dreaming. I mean, even the act of dreaming. At night, we all lay down, and we get to play dope movies where we're the heroes or whatever happens in our mind. Everybody does this. Science still can't explain it. So these are the types of things that fit in, I think, with the other correlations of extraordinary experiences. Because now you're tapping into a level of the consciousness that, yes, is non-local to the body. I think we have enough evidence to be able to determine that now. But what I find really interesting about the extraordinary experiences in, in what I've been looking at is how there's so many common themes, uh, but there's so many variants to the point to where each individual ex- experience seems to be tailored for that person, seems to be either a creation of their mind or that's the reality in which they are presented. It's very personal. Uh, you know, for example, in the near-death experiences, you'll have the you know bright light um, hallway thing. You have greeted by a comfortable member, either uh, angel um, they've said, or a family member that's passed on. Even dogs, in some cases, uh, past pets. Um, but then you go off into other things. People experience just a few, man, because there's been so damn many, um, like a laying on a bed and having a torrido field where they saw something horrible and neon underneath them and something beautiful above them. There's this separation, right? There's this uh, polarity there. Uh, then you have just returning to source. That one's pretty ubiquitous. But then you have somebody went to hell and then somebody went to heaven and then, you know, they were in a state to where there was nothing around them and they felt nothing. It, it's these types of variations that are, like I said, personal to these people that, that I find very, very interesting. Now, uh, back to the what you were talking about about psychedelics, I consider myself a bit of a psychonaut as well. I have uh, indulged quite a bit um, in varying types and varieties and have found that, yeah, man, I wasn't the same when I came back. Um, I think that it definitely retards a filter that we have in our mind uh, that cr- that allows us to view this stable uh, and reliable reality. Uh, but what I think that it does do is it opens your mind to the fact that things around you aren't as stable and reliable as you would think that it, they would be. And there's a key to unlocking that type of experience that 
everybody can experience. It's an interesting like little, I've heard, uh, I had a young lady named Kelly Hanner on the show. She was wonderful. She wrote a book called Safe Travels about psychedelics. And she referred it as a cheat code, you know, for the universe. Like it's a cheat code. Like you can kind of peek behind the curtain a little bit and see something extraordinary. And again, even in that, there are some common themes, right? Things sparkle a little bit. The wall does the thing, the carpet and all that. But people experience different things. Hallucinations on entities. They, they picture... Uh, you know, dragons and stuff. I've seen two colorful dragons with my own eyes floating around and chasing each other through a tree. It was pretty dope. Nobody else saw it. And even they were on the same substances. So it's almost like how much of your brain is creating this or how much of your experience that your consciousness is wanting to have is experiencing that. And how much is it how much does it come down to chemistry? Does it come down to what you took and how much? Uh, does it come down to set and setting, which we know is very important with psychedelics? Um I know I've, I've given you a lot there, but the main thing I wanted to ask was, is what do you think is the deal with the variant and the personal experiences that people have? Um, very well said. Um, it, it is personalized, certainly, um, and, and, uh, and as it should be. We're, we're unique from each other, remarkably similar and remarkably dissimilar. We share obviously obvious similarities in the form of a brain, and thus, it's a, if we're all experiencing a similar kind of a quirk in neurological functioning, maybe that's why we see similarities across the kinds of experiences that people do have when we talk about the peak experience. But, but, how do you account for the fact that these are well-functioning, well-balanced individuals? And how do you account for the fact that in a study that John Hopkins University just published though, this year, uh, they had, I think, about 50 subjects or so who were considered, who considered themselves to be atheists at the beginning of the study. They then were given intravenous dimethyl, no, not uh, psilocybin. It wasn't dimethyltryptamine, it's a similar thing, psychoactive drug. Um, as psilocybin is, following their experience, two-thirds of the subjects who considered themselves atheists, then, now, post-psychoactive drug, believed in a supreme being. Strong atheists now believe in a supreme being. Okay, what's that about? Um, not unusual. The point is, for an external stimulus, like a drug, just powerful effect on the brain, of course, no question about it, maybe more than the brain, but this person is seeing some aspect of reality that is so pronounced, so meaningful, semantically, perceptually, that it alters such an important, fundamental, philosophical viewpoint. Your belief in God if something, if something changes that, and it did, according to this study, is that reality? Is that, is that real? Of course it's real. It's realer than real. I mean, but mainstream science won't regard that uh, as a real event. What, what am I saying by real? Well, this person inter said they interacted with the supreme being. That's why it was so real to that person. They were in such awe. It was like more than the back of their hand, more than their morning coffee, real. How can they not be moved by it? Um, 
is that reality? This person interacted with a, a non-human intelligence that changed their belief about a supreme being. I think that's real. <laughs> it's as real as one on one is two. Uh, there's meaning, intense meaning. We've got to consider that. That's why we need a scientific paradigm that accepts that. Newtonian physics doesn't. We know that. But a new paradigm shift that integrates, again, quantum theory with existing principles should consider that. And then, then we have uh, the potential to develop human beings' mental capabilities, uh, conscious awareness. Uh, where are we going to be in terms of our understanding of life, the meaning of life, the purpose of life, how we treat one another, how we treat ourselves, what's important in life? The people that have a peak experience contend that they're on the way. They're not they're far from perfect. But as far as human beings go, they seem to be much more humane, at least relative to what they were before their peak experience. They've improved considerably as a person. We need more research in this area. We did a research study as part of the, as, as, when I was a member of the Dr. Edgar Mitchell Foundation for Research into Extraterrestrial and Extraordinary Experiences. We did a, a study on over 4,200 individuals, a survey study, and we asked them over 600 questions in the surveys, as well as getting qualitative responses from them. We published the results, in this, in, as I mentioned earlier, in the Journal of Scientific Exploration, a well-respected referee journal. What we found here was something that was quite significant. These people, approximately 85% of them, said they, they changed positively following their experience. And in fact, those that had more frequent interactions with the phenomena, aerial phenomena, especially the beings that they interacted with, contacted, not abducted. They were not taken physically on board. We're talk, I'm talking about the contactees. They said that they improved in terms of all their personal viewpoints, in terms of their answers about uh, 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 and meaning to life. They, their questions that they had about life after death, about money, religion, were answered. Now, that's reality. So where do we go? Well, the study that was published in, in that journal um, didn't get that much attention from ufology because, well, like ufology, ufologists are into nuts and bolts. But we know that this UFO phenomenon is a physical one, but it's also a non-physical one. And Jacques Vallée, who studied it, uh, well-known scientist in the field, of course, as you know, contend it's both back in the 60s and 70s during many hearings that we had in, in the Senate. He's written many books on the topic. Yeah, J. J. Allen Hynek, the leader of Project Blue Book, he said this is this phenomenon so so far into our terrestrial mode of thought. He said just that at the UN Special Committee hearing in 1976. We'd see how we just come in full circle again. Wake up, everybody. You know, this is cool, but we've been there. Um, but, but it's still good. We see evidence today. It's physical. It leaves depressions on the ground. Uh, it's... It, mitigates our nuclear warheads. It renders them ineffective, functionless. 
and then turns it back on. It's physical, but it's also non-physical. It communicates telepathically with individuals, so they claim. I try to be objective about it. This is what they say. This is what science says. We gotta meet in the middle here between the anecdotal and science and bring in new science that explains the anecdotal, the peak experience. Because the DM, Rick Straussman, who did considerable research in dimethyltryptamine, ayahuasca, he started the ball rolling about 15, 20 years ago in the University of New Mexico. And in his, in his subjects who uh, expressed some of the things that you did, sure, um, interaction with certain beings, uh, a, a, different, a different type of experience that left more than an impression. But um, he met with John Mack, the well-known psychiatrist from Harvard University who was well-known for his research into the alien abduction phenomena. They met, and according to Rick Straussman, uh, the subjects in both of their studies, the DMT and in the abduction scenario, the personal experiences of both were the same. They, and according to Straussman, we were blown away by the similarities in terms of what they experienced and the transformative outcomes resulting from it. One of them, again, was that ego dissolution that, that strikes a nerve in me. It, 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 there's something about maybe the brain. If you're, in other words, if you're presented with the truth, um, as if you see an alternate reality, and if that is real, if that truly is real, let's say, that these people are having this kind of experience. They're near death, they're right on the, they're right on the edge, they're in the pearly gates, enough so that they get a strong sense of what it's all about. And they go into detail about it, sure. It's, it's remarkable, but why are they different? It's almost as if you go into a default mode network, as if the brain is kind of like reprogrammed automatically, almost like it's an instinct. Uh, uh, you give this kind of information to the brain and voila, I got a peak experience, I get it. That light bulb, uh, light bulb goes off. You're different from that moment forward. You may have a lot of anxiety with the spiritual emergency because you can't. It's too overwhelming. It's so much. How do you make sense of it? But over time, they do. Often with the need of help, counseling. But they need to see a proper counselor, one who doesn't debunk their experience. It's the last thing you want to hear that they have a psychological problem. They don't. Yeah, we're they trying to medicate them out of experiencing what they did. Exactly. Exactly. The traditional mainstream scientific paradigm. We not only need that paradigm shift in science, we need it in medicine. See, we need it in medicine. You go, you you, you have a, you have a person having a near-death experience in America saying that they interacted with a, a supreme being of some type. This is what they uh, he or she was told. And I said, I share that with, let's say, a psychiatrist. You know, how many out of 10 will treat me medically, thinking I have some underlying psychological condition? In contrast, I go to a Hindu country or, or uh, where they practice Buddhism or Hinduism, or, and I'm revered. Mm -hmm. I'm looked up to. As oh, <laughs> you're you're lucky. 
we respect you for your experience having been um, shaped. Yeah, it's so mm-hmm. in- it's like a left brain, right brain, you know, conundrum that goes on, right? Because they're willing to ex- express the, you know, extraordinary, right? Because a lot of people, because that's revered, which, which is so interesting to me how cultures are so different in that way, where there's something that can happen to everybody across any culture. But over here, you're chastised for it. You can lose your job for it. If you're a pilot and you say you've seen a UFO back in the day, I don't know how it is now, you lose, you're grounded, you lose your wings because they can't have you in a questionable mental state if you're seeing something that you did see that's just snuffed out. It's not. It's the elephant in the room. It's just, don't look at that elephant. No, 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 we, we've heard about it. We've heard all the stories. Don't look at it. If you look at it, you lose your job, you lose your family, you lose, you know, it's these punishments for, I mean, it's, and like a, I've said it before, but I, I think that what goes on on a kind of a deep level with especially what happens in our country is that, what you see on the news and and all of that is an inversion of reality. It's inverted. So whatever the hell they're telling you on there, do the opposite. You're going to be just fine. Now, I don't know why people watch the news. I have to get that. I, same. I, I haven't watched it in years. It's toxic. Man. It's toxic. To- truly is toxic. Well, and we know what it's about. Now, what, one thing that I wanted to ask you as well was, is what do you think? What I'm also fascinated by with this whole thing is that people not everybody has an extraordinary experience. Like in my case, for instance, I've had my psychedelic experiences, but those were self-induced. But um, I, I haven't like seen UFO. I haven't had a paranormal experience. I'm going to say yet because I've still got plenty of life left. Um, but w- why do you think that certain people have had those experiences even when they don't choose them, right? There's, you know, uh, stand-up folks that are great society, the model model American citizen, right? And they have an extraordinary experiences. If they report it, it's it's interesting the lineages that go on. Like, why isn't this knowledge known to everybody? Why is it so esoteric in your mind? Because of course, we don't know the answer. Why, do, why is there a hidden world here that can be unlocked with psychedelics or land on your lawn and interact with you? It's just interesting that there's so many mysteries around. And it it seems like maybe that's part of the experience, right? It's just like, like I said, with Galileo. I mean, that's just a new science that we haven't been exposed to yet, even though a lot of people experience it. People experience gravity, but we didn't know how to explain it. Um, people experience this stuff, and now we currently don't know how to explain it. The hit and miss element of it is what's so interesting to me. Everybody experiences gravity. Not everybody experiences a UFO or a near-death experience, for instance. Right. Uh, oh, excellent question. Uh, and those that don't uh, have a strong desire to, and then then they often hear, well, some people don't uh, don't don't want what they wish for because they they have a negative experience. For instance, you're so right. Uh, you know, some people have that so-called antenna, so that sensitivity, whatever you want to call it. Who 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 knows? Insufficient data to know why why some people, for instance, uh, have these kinds of UAP so-called abduction contact experiences, which runs in families. What's that all about? Um, uh, why do people, you know, some people can hit a, a, a baseball 450 feet and uh, play the piano uh, remarkably well and others can. So there are unique talents and sensitivities. Some people have, may have, have a better ability to remote view. And they said, that's what they say. Some people are natural at it. Some people can can do it. So there's variations of cognitive ability, certainly, and variations very likely of of our ability to have these kinds of experiences, what it requires, I don't know. Probably an open mind and intention. That's what I hear. You have to really want it bad. 
and be open to it. Meditate as well. Uh, and, and believe me when I say that those that do um, accept it, immerse yourself in it, um, don't go overboard. Don't get up too obsessed. I've seen that. Uh, be careful when you go down that rabbit hole. But, but you're asking for it. You're going to get it. At some time in your life, you're going to get it. Something. I don't know what it is. It, it, it can come in any different way, but something that'll knock your socks off. Uh, something that will make you say, oh, oh wow, I, I get it now. <laughs> I get it. And it can really shake you up. Uh, you got to be very careful. Like, don't play with Ouija boards. That kind of stuff. There's some negative stuff out there from what I hear and understand to the point where there's so much going on that we don't see um, than what we do. Uh, and it gets overly philosophical. And us so-called, what are we, um, we're on a quest. We're just very curious people genetically. We're um, truth seekers, whatever you want to call it. Uh, a rare breed, I think. But that's the way we're built. Uh, it's more fun than watching CNN and, and replays of Friends or something like that. Although every you. Time, then you need a little bit of that. But this is where it's at because... I know this truth here. I know it. And I may be self-deluded, but I don't care. I know this truth here because I experienced some of it. I did. And a lot of people who haven't, oh, wow, I want, I want to taste that too. Well, be careful. Careful, please. Um, it can shake you up. Um, and it's hard to be prepared for it, of course, because you don't know which way it's going to come, but it's going to come. And many of the people who are listening to us, and you know this very well, are experiences. You got it down. I have a call to somebody right now. Um, a good friend of mine knows him. His name is Mike. Lives here in Florida. He can call down UFOs like the like a Chris Bledsoe type. Um, and some people can do it. The Stephen Greer, the CE five stuff. Well, what's that all about? This truth to that. You know, you want you want to you want experience. Go join a CE five group. You know, you're not guaranteed it, but more times than not, they're going to hit a home run. Even a double's pretty cool. Um, what its intention? The more antennas you have, the greater the chances. But you need one leader. You need that one main antenna, they say, and then it helps greatly. But also this: when you have an experience, an unexplained experience, UAP and whatever it is. It, it not only changes people, as we know, um, psychologically, spiritually, it makes them more prone to other kinds of similar experiences in terms of psychic experience, supernatural, whatever you want to call it. But they're more likely to have a psychic ESP, let's say. They're more likely to have those synchronicities, more likely to see UFOs, orbs, all of that stuff. Why? Why? Was that filter open? You know, what, what um, William James, the founder of, of psychology back in the early 1900s, he, he, he talked about just this. Why? It doesn't matter what year you're born. You can be <laughs> your smartest ever at, at any time. And he says the brain impedes our ability to see true reality. Our brain impedes our ability to see reality. You know, we, we evolved on Earth, so we have our sensory systems. That's all we're going to see. You know, we're, hey, we're, we're held hostage to this biologic unit. Why? It came out of our planet. It's designed beautifully for it. 
unfortunately, I got to stick around only 80 years or so and hopefully not suffering the, in the, <laughs> along the way. But that's all I see. We know energy exists way beyond those you know, thresholds on the low and the high end, whether it's hertz or, or, or color or, or taste. We know energy is out there and different species can detect it, others can't. But how about consciousness? How about other hidden dimensions? How about the parallel universes that the quantum theorists kick around? The multiverse, all of that stuff, super strings. I, I don't understand. I'm not a physicist, but this is what they tell us. It's a world of probabilities. It's a world of biofields, torsion waves, the fundamental features of the physical universe. And there's physicists that are saying that like torsion waves, consciousness has quantum-like properties. It, it, it demonstrates superposition and non-locality, uh, um, entanglement, as you mentioned. Sure, you, do, you, you cut an electron, you divide an elect, uh, electron, you, you separate it by light years, you turn one clockwise, the other spins counterclockwise despite that so-called unseen connection between the two and yeah entanglement call it what you will maybe that subsurge esp uh, invisible communication uh like micro like the you know like your cell phone but this torsion field may be part of the, the, the future uh, unified field theory an aspect of consciousness may eventually be integrated along with electromagnetism, gravitation, and, and the nuclear forces, because now we're saying that science, we finally have a science that acknowledges that, that what people have in their peak experience can be valid. Don't you see, you talk to a quantum physicist, and then you tell them, hey, I had this peak experience. I had, uh, I felt like there was no time or space. Past, present, future exists simultaneously and instantaneously. I, I, I sensed everything. I was one with the universe. Uh, love beyond description, uh, peace, tranquility. I, 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 this was home. I went home. And this is what they all say. They went, what's that all about? Is that brain? Brain doesn't say that. I went home. Why do they only see deceased relatives and friends? Why not their neighbor Louie down the road, down the street? Why don't they see them during the NDE? Why? There's too many whys. There's too many things that are inconsistent with psychotic behavior. This is not psychotic behavior that people have when they say they're seeing deceased relatives and, and deities. No, you don't benefit. You don't become more spiritual, more humane when you have an underlying pathologic condition of a psychological nature. These people do. They, in terms of developing uh, a, a, an improvement in who and what they are. My gosh, I respect them. They see these, the existence of these subtle energies that might exist is evidence to suggest that it does. We don't understand, however, its role. It, the essence of a biofield, these light energy that has been emanating from the Big Bang over, what, what was it, 13 billion years ago? I forget uh, when the Earth, Earth was, uh, came into being. Um, this type of, of, of quantum particles that may very well, and it seems to, uh, extend beyond the body because we see evidence of quantum processes in cells. We see, we see clearly quantum processes in all life forms. We see 
degrees. Photosynthesis is quantum is a quantum process. And, and if you look at quantum processes, it allows, it allows for the continuation of its energy. Don't you see? That would be the basis of life after death. That Hammerhoff and Penrose uh, in their orc or model of, of neuronal cells in, in, in the brain, where they contend that's the seat of consciousness. And it allows for continued existence in another realm after bodily death. Now, this isn't a slam dunk, but it's noteworthy. It's, it's again, something that we can try to understand that the torsion field and how it operates in a holographic manner that is consistent now that we're learning, consistent with cellular function. Wow, that's, that's interesting. It's coming together now. Quantum physics, mind and body, time for a paradigm shift. And we're right on that cusp. I'm not going to be around to see it go all the way, but it's it's moving. And it's people like you, pal, especially like you, that get it, that do what you do, the drive, the motivation, share thoughts of, of these types and then some. Not that I'm right in everything I say, nor you, but we some of it is true. We're hindered by our insufficient data our education, we're, we're, we're still working with stone eyes, bare skins, trying to explain something beyond extraordinary, making sense of something that people experience that they have no clue what it is other than it is so profound, personal, and they feel that they have benefited tremendously from over time. What's that all about? And, you know, what's interesting about it, too, is the interconnectivity of the experiences and how, back to what we were talking about, about how personal they are. It is interesting that anybody shares these experiences at all. The only reason that I think that they do it is maybe to look for answers and to find people to connect with that have had similar experiences or can at least entertain the idea, right? Because it's a very ostracizing type of a thing to present to your family, uh, to your friends, to people who don't understand what you're talking about, to come out and say, hey, I've had this experience. And what's really interesting, too, about what you said, the observations in nature as it occurs to the spooky action at a distance, as Einstein and Bohr argued about, or quantum entanglement, same thing, is I love the examples of like bees and how they change and how they interact. Uh, Birds, whenever those, I forget the name of the damn bird, but it's the ones that move together and they form this incredible pattern in flight and they don't run into each other. You don't see a bunch of birds spiraling out of control. You see this beautiful flow of energy. Uh, You can also see this at the, the hundredth monkey effect. Have you ever heard of that study that they did? No. Oh my God, check this out. So Roughly, and I'll just break this down. Uh, so what what scientists did was is that I believe it was in Japan. They found uh, they put sweet potatoes out for this indigenous monkey population. Well, what they found was is that when they dumped the sweet potatoes out, they got sand on them and stuff like that. One monkey would go over and wash it off in the water and figured out that it tasted better if you got all the sand and dirt and shit off of it. But other monkeys started doing this behavior as well, and then they started figuring out, dude, this is great. We should if you wash them first, they're much much better. It's a better experience. Um, Then what's really interesting is when they got to about 100 monkeys or so, the monkeys on the island that had no connection to these monkeys at all started doing the same exact thing. It's non-local swap of information from a colony of monkeys uh, across a massive body of water with no connection whatsoever. So there seems to be this 
this connectivity, especially within species. So if that's true and that's the case, one would tend to think that the, you know, we don't have to go cabals deep on this one, but what, go ahead. Pyramids. Uh, yeah, there you go. Sure. Yeah. I love it. Beautiful. Exactly. And how, Come on, I'm sorry to interrupt. no, 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 no. It was a great point because this is right. The, these, and you know, I'm, I'm not convinced that ancient man on this planet was number one, primitive at all. Number two, um, didn't have connected, um, they were able to communicate with one another or it was the hundredth monkey effect type of thing. Now I, like I said, I don't think people give our ancestors enough credit. I think that they were highly intelligent and very in tune with earth. And you know, that may be why we don't see much of their evidence of their high technology because they built it in such a way to where it would just return to the earth that we didn't leave. They didn't leave a bunch of metal and shit around like we do here possibly. <laughs> but, um, and I, like I said, I think that's what makes them more advanced. So, um, like like I said, man, it, it's just fascinating how these things are now getting the spotlight and how we're able to now have great, brilliant minds like yourself that are actually doing this real research. They're marrying the philosophy with the science. They're, you're able to actually take a look at it with with genuine reverence and respect. Number one, because you're an experiencer. But I, I think number two, because you've just got that mind, like you said, where some of us are just wired this way. Uh, and it's a beautiful thing, man. It's a juxtaposition to what reality has presented us with, which is another weird thing. So... We'll we'll probably wrap it up here pretty soon, man. And I want to I want to finish on a final thought from you. So, what the hell do you think all of this is? What do you think the Earth is about? Why do you think we're here? What's the secrets of the universe? Uh, you know, just a nice softball to lob up for you there. That should be very easy to answer. <laughs> wow. Um, insufficient data to give you a logical answer, but it's not. It, logic doesn't dictate the answer. It's not. It, logic isn't part of the answer. You know, it comes down to everything. The collective evidence says to me, um, you know, what John Lennon said, loves the answer. I hate to hate to go to that default and, you know, that cop out, that, that you know, syrupy kind of sappy love thing. But man, <laughs> loves the answer. Family. You know, I'm, I'm writing a book now on, on aging and, I, and I, I don't know if I'm ending this on the right note, but the biggest regret that I'm finding in, in my research with the old age, at least, their biggest regret when they're at death's door is not being closer to their children, family, whoever their significant others are. Deeply, that's where it goes. At the very end, don't make that mistake. They deeply regret. It's always that. Family, love. Family, love. And it's why i don't know but it rules it rules the world why uh you can i go a little you get nervous when i contemplate what is life why all the all the question marks it gets a little too much it gets a little overwhelming sometimes and why does it induce that visceral emotion it's like it's heavy and and yet i don't get it when i mention it to somebody some of these things what time is it you know, oh, I got I to gotta go shopping at Walmart. They don't care. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's remarkable. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what's, what's there's something. There is something way beyond that if we were given the answer to what that something is that kind of ties us all up, we couldn't understand it. We'd have no clue. I wouldn't even know what you're saying, probably, if – if we were given the answer right in front of us, 
what? Yeah. I don't know. Cop out. Love. So I fall back on the default mode network. Love. <laughs> Thank you, pal. Listen, you're the best. You're the best, you're the, you're the best man. Yeah. This was wonderful. Uh, you know, yeah, I will really, say. I mean, I, I've been on many of these things. I know a lot of people in the, in the business. If your audience is not aware, I, I don't want to sound too corny about this or buddy you up. I, got, I, I had no secondary gain here, you know, to get out of this other than I'm stating the facts. You're good. And if and, and your audience, I hope you people spread the word about about you. You're you very unique, even off off air, off camera, whatever you want to call. You have it. You got it right. You have the right attitude. I don't know you, but I sense there's something very special about you. Keep doing what you're doing. I love it. Yes, sir. And thank God my ego's in check. Uh, but I do really appreciate that, man. Honestly, kind words. I really do appreciate it. And I don't know who gave, you know, love is the answer a bad rap, but I don't think we should give love as the basis of everything uh, a bad name anymore. I think we need to take that back because it is. It is that simple. It is that reductive. If you just filter the world through that, at the end of every show, I sign off with just saying, y'all just be good to one another. And that's it. it. Just do that. Just be good to one another. And you'd be amazed at how much the world would change, as well as get out of your scarcity mindset and live in an abundance mindset. And you start that with gratitude. And we could do a whole show on that, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> so I, I can't thank you enough for your time, man. I, I really do want to um, research what you've written further and then have you back on in the future, man. You, you'll just be reoccurring. And then you and me and Brent need to do a uh, panel here soon, but we'll talk about that off air. Uh, he's a wonderful, wonderful man, Brent. Uh, Rain, so your audience will look forward, should look forward to listening to him speak. Uh, thank you, sir. We'll talk again. Yep. Sure. Let's do it again. Well, my audience has been looking forward to you speaking, and this was an absolute delight. So, like I said, bottom of my heart, I can't thank you enough. I, I will be linking your books and how to find you in the show notes for everybody. Y'all are great at that. You know how to do it. Just click down there in the description. Uh, Bob Davis, thanks again, brother. I really appreciate it. Thank you. My pleasure. Incredibly grateful to be able to sit down and speak with Bob Davis for a little bit on the show. Uh, incredibly grateful to him for his time and his knowledge and his wisdom and sharing that uh, outlook with us, guys. It's it's fantastic. It's wonderful to hear such a scientist uh, speak this way about not only the phenomena, but any phenomena. It's wonderful the approach that he takes with it, and I am, like I said, truly grateful to have made the connection. He, Soul Tribe, he will be on again in the future. We're already setting up a couple of panels uh, between him and a couple of the other guests as well. It's going to be great. So um, the music that you're hearing underneath all of this, guys, is by a good friend of mine called Vinny the Saint. How to find him is linked down into the show notes. So check him out for sure. He does some wonderful music and I'm grateful for him for letting us use it on the show. So as for this show, you can find us at expandingrealitypodcast.com. That is where the links to all of the socials will be. The YouTube is up there as well. You can just click on that. It'll take you straight to the video interview of what you just experienced. And uh, thank you guys so much for checking those out. Um, also, Patreon. Patreon is linked up there as well. Y'all know how that works. If you feel like the show is valuable or that you get something out of it, uh, we put this out for free. You guys uh, would uh, be great to just donate a little bit to your boy here. I appreciate that. Uh, you help keep the show going, and I am grateful. Liking and sharing is always the best way as well. Grateful for that also, guys. So thank you all so, so much. 
So this week, guys, venture out into your world and pick up a piece of litter, pet a dog, buy somebody behind you a coffee or a meal, uh, you know, get out of the left-hand lane. Of course, that one's a pain in the ass. So just uh, thank you guys for doing that. And uh, also just run out into the world, guys. This is a beautiful place that we live on. Make some incredible connections and just be good to one another. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite.